Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Invention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Oh, yeah. Hello, I am Joe Laurent, and welcome to Hold the Line, the podcast for force free gun dog training. Hold the Line is committed to helping you train your dog to an advanced level using motivational methods and without the use of fear or pain. Thank you for tuning in and please make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Hold the Line! So folks, this week it is time to finish the Click and Retrieve um, sequence that we've been following. So this is the final instalment of the Click and Retrieve process. If you look back at earlier episodes of the podcast, uh, you will see phase one, phase two, phase three, and so on. So if you want to follow the whole process from the beginning, you can just look back at earlier episodes and start from phase one and listen to those particular episodes all the way through till you get to here. Now, I would also recommend that you do that alongside my book, which is called Force Free Gun Dog Training, The Fundamentals for Success. So you can find that on Amazon. And the reason I suggest you do that alongside is just that it has, well, it's basically the written down version of what I'm talking about. It has some nice illustrations. So it shows you with images what it is that you're trying to achieve. So I think that you will find it uh, easier if you can see those and follow those steps. And it kind of fleshes out some of the uh, difficulties or pitfalls that you might run into when you're training it. So Yes, I recommend that you go back and listen through from phase one whilst you also follow along with the relevant sections in the book. Um, Anyway, so this week we are going to look at phase seven and phase eight. So, and that's the very end. And phase eight is really just kind of the finishing touches. So it's, you know, it's not really very difficult at all. So let's look at phase seven to start with. So Phase seven is putting the pickup and the hand target together. So, so far, we've taught the dog to target our right hand, the palm of our right hand, without a dummy. So they just know that when they see that hand target go down, that they're going to run and touch it and get a click and get a treat. Hopefully, you may also have even put some duration on your hand target. We talked about how to achieve that in earlier episodes. So a little reminder, you would just not click the first time the dog touches, but you would click the second time the dog touches. And once your dog can do that, you would not click the first or second time, but the third time. And so if you do that consistently, what you get is a sort of touch, 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 or touch, touch. Um, And the dog ends up not bothering to take their nose away from your hand. And it just ends up becoming one prolonged hang target with sort of pulses, as it were. 
Um, so anyway, if you want some more detail on how to achieve the duration, you can go back and look at earlier episodes. However, the duration is kind of optional. I mean, it is brilliant. With this click and achieve process, there are some little corners which are kind of optional extras and we're brilliant if you can do them. And I, when I say op- they're optional extras, I'm almost a bit reluctant to say that because I don't want to make it sound like you can just leave those bits out and not even attempt them. And, you know, hey, if it doesn't work the first time, then just, you know, just, just don't bother. And that's not what I mean when they say they're optional extras. I mean that if you really, really, really can't do them, then you'll still have a reliable retreat. But you should really, really, really attempt them and you should do all you can to achieve them, not just skip them. So anyway, duration on the hand target is is one of those. Um, and if you want to do other dog sports that involve, like, for example... In working trials, the articles which the dog has to find in the search square and when tracking can often be really small. And if you've got a dog which doesn't know how to prolong the um, the hand target when they're delivering the item, if they just sort of come up and touch your hand and then um, move away, often that tiny little fiddly item can end up on the floor because you just lose it or you don't have a secure hold of it. And So if you've got a dog which knows how to maintain that um, hand target whilst you ensure fiddling around that you have a secure hold of it then you will avoid dropping these tiny little things on the floor so that's just you know it depends if you're if you're training for general dog sports um maybe you want to use your retrieve in other ways or if you are just doing gun dog training and that is your main objective um i tend to just train above and beyond whatever i think i might need so i always do the the duration on the hand target and i've included that as well in the book um Anyway, so far we've got the the dog touching our nose. Sorry, not touching our nose. That would be hilarious, wouldn't it? Touching our hand. Um, and we've also got the dog picking up the dummy and approaching us whilst holding it. We've been clicking whilst they've been coming back to us whilst holding it. So what we need to do now is we need to get these two things together. So we need to get the dog holding the dummy and contact with our hand. And so the dummy starts to come into contact with our hand. And you can see how we're kind of, well, we've almost got a retrieve at that point, haven't we? So there are a few things to say about this. So firstly, it might look a little messy. So if it's not beautifully perfect at first, don't worry. It can look a little bit scrabbly and like you're scrabbling to get the dummy or um, there's a risk that the dog might drop it and it can all just look a bit um, messy, really. But that's fine. So don't worry if that's how it looks at first. The other thing to say is that we want to make sure that the dummy makes contact with our hand before it hits the floor. So we only click if we could have taken it. We're still not going to take it. And I'll talk about that a bit more in a minute. But we want to click only if we could have taken it. And you have to be absolutely honest with yourselves here. So I've had people when I've taught this in practical classes, sort of, you know, the dog's almost throwing the dummy at them and they're just clicking whatever the dog does and delivering the treat. So There's no way if they wanted to take that dummy that they could have taken it because the dog almost threw it at them or dropped it one foot short of their hand or something. So you've got to be really honest here. You're only going to click if you could take the dummy, if you wanted to, but you're not actually going to take it. So sometimes if, well, to make this point to people, I sort of say to people, I want you to take it for like half a second and then drop it on the floor just to show people that, you know, they have to be sure that they could take it if they wanted to um, when you click. So um let's talk a little bit about why we're not going to actually take it off the dog because i think sometimes that people are a bit bemused by that so the reason is that old keep away chestnut so 
as soon as we start to take things directly from the dog, there's a risk of us inflaming sort of keep away tendencies in the dog. The, the idea of the dog wanting to retain possession of this item and not give it up to us. And, you know, keep away refers to things like the dog running off with the item and not bringing it back to us. The dog coming back a short way and then dancing around at a distance, almost wanting us to chase them to try to get it. Um, so sometimes the dog just runs in large circles around the handler, not wanting to actually bring it back. And it's often quite playful as well, keep away. So um, we don't want to inflame any of these feelings. And so it's really important that we feign complete disinterest in actually possessing the dummy. We want to communicate to the dog, I don't care about having that thing that you've got. I only am interested in what you're doing with it. And it's what you're doing with it, and it's where it's going, and it's what it's touching, which is what I am marking and reinforcing. I don't, you know, I'm not I'm interested in actually having it. Um, and that's the message that we need to get across to the dog. Now, even if dogs have no keep-away tendencies on canvas dummies, when you start to work on really exciting things like game, or even if um, you have some feathered dummies or some fur dummies, those things are so exciting and such high value that you may suddenly start to see keep away at that point. So you might be moving along with the click of achieve process thinking, ha, huh, I'm not going to do it with Joe says because I just don't have any keep away problems. I'm just going to take the dummy off the dog. And you know what? It might work whilst you have a canvas dummy. But when you're onto working with game or onto feathered dummies or fur dummies, you might suddenly start to see this keep away thing happening. So you know what? It's really just good to have as a sort of instilled pattern and habit in your dog, this idea of bring the item back, make contact with the the handler's hand, and then let it fall on the floor. So after the click. So that's kind of what we want to communicate to the dog. So let's talk about it in some more detail and how we actually achieve it. Um, so you, firstly, you're going to just warm up with some regular hand target touches. So this is just what you've been doing before when you taught the hand target. And once you've got your dog thinking about hand targeting and you've got them in that frame of mind, you're going to put the dummy at your feet again. You're not going to move away from the dummy this time. Just put it at your feet. So when the dog approaches the dummy, there's two different things that you can be doing at this point. I, for most dogs, recommend option one, which is this. So the dog's going to come up to the dummy. They're going to pick it up as usual. Then you're immediately going to put out your hand target whilst backing away from the dog with kind of quick little exciting shuffles backwards. So, yeah, think about your feet sliding along the floor as you're shuffling backwards in an exciting way away from the dog with your hand target held down by the side of your right leg. Um, so when the dog sees you backing away with that hand target, their natural response is to want to chase after you. So they're naturally going to want to move towards you because you're retreating. And that's just um, part of how dogs work and how dog body language works. So you retreat away. They're going to want to chase after you. And you have your hand target down. So it's going to be really easy for you to click that, that sort of moment that you feel the dummy in your hand. So think about your hand and then there's the dummy and then there's the dog's mouth on the other side of the dummy. Now you want to click the moment those three things are connected. Think about it as if um, when those three things are connected, a light goes on somewhere um, and that light represents you, your clicker. So you're going to click that precise moment that the three things become one thing. And after you've clicked that, you can let it fall to the floor. So that's kind of option one. And again, you're only going to click if you could have taken it. Option two, if that doesn't work, 
is that you don't back away. So the dog picks up the dummy from your feet and you put your hand tug out, but you're not going to back away. So ideally, in a perfect world, the dog would see your hand target and think, ah, that's the hand target thing. I know that. And touch your hand whilst holding the dummy. And then you click that and again, let it fall to the floor. So... Okay, folks, it's time for a whistle pause. A whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor. But I don't have a sponsor, so instead I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. Now, the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now, the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself, and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me. And apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. I think it's important to say that whatever option that you choose, your dog is probably going to drop the dummy at first in order to touch your hand. And the reason for this is that the dog doesn't understand at this point that they can do a hand target and hold the dummy at the same time. This is kind of a revelation to them. Um, And... They think when they see the hand target, oh, I better put the dummy down so I can do a hand target. So they don't realize that they can do both these things at once. So if the dog drops the dummy before they've done the hand target and touched your hand with it, you're going to snatch your hand target away back behind your back. So we want the dog to learn if the dummy is dropped too early, then the hand target disappears. The option to touch that hand target is removed. So therefore, the option to earn a reinforcer is removed. So I better keep hold of the dummy. Um, And this is what I mean by it can be a bit messy at first because your kind of priority is to somehow get the dog to be holding the dummy whilst making contact with your right hand, with the hand target, so that you can click it. And the more that you can do that, the more you've got something that you can build on. So, yeah, if the dog drops early before touching your hand, you're just going to snatch your hand away. Um, What else is there to say? I think that's that's probably kind of the, the... the nuts and bolts of phase seven. Now, as your dog gets better at this, you're going to move further away. So that means putting the dummy down at your feet. And as the dog heads towards the dummy, you are going to quickly move away before they've reached it so that when they reach it, they then have to bring it to you over a little distance, a few meters or so. And you can build up that distance. You can increase to whatever the size of the room that you're working in indoors offers you. So you can be going, it depends on the size of wherever you're working if you have one of these luxuriously amazing um kind of basement training 
studios, which I very much envy, then you've got quite a big area to work in. If you're kind of working in a small kitchen, then you might not have such a big area. But just use whatever area you've got. You're going to back away from the dog so that you kind of got the idea of the dog picking up and then bringing it to you over a little distance. Remember to keep backing up while the dog is bringing it to you because that's going to help the dog hold on and focus on trying to get to you. If you just stand still like a lemon with your hand out, expecting the dog to bring the dummy to you over six metres, the dog will probably drop it before they get to you you may not get a great delivery. So to inspire the dog to focus on getting back to you as quickly as possible, keep backing up as they're approaching you. So wherever you go and stand, you need to make sure there's space behind you so that you can back up. Don't put yourself like against a wall so you can't back up anywhere. So make sure there's some space behind you to, to back up. Um, what else does that say? I think that's kind of that's kind of it, really. It's not that difficult. This, it, it, Although it looks messy, it's not difficult. Um, this bit and I think that sometimes where it goes wrong is that people have in their minds this this kind of idea that it's just going to go perfectly like all they have to do is put their hand out and stand still and the dog is just going to pick the dummy up and do a perfect delivery to their hand Um, now that may happen but it probably isn't going to happen so the dog's probably going to need a bit more help at first so if you do have difficulties with this phase of the clicker retrieve there's a couple of suggestions that I have so if you've got a really small dog like a cocker spaniel then sometimes kneeling down with the dummy kind of at your knees so you're much lower down helps because your hand is much closer to the dummy. So again, your priority is to set it up so that you can touch the dummy or the dog can bring the dummy to your hand while it's still in their mouth so that you can click that moment of connection between your hand, the dummy and the dog's mouth. So if kneeling down enables you to be able to get your hand in the right place to be able to click that then by all means, kneel down, particularly if you've got a small dog that may help you. Um, Other thing to say is really make sure you're backing up and backing away quickly. Don't just stand there, like I said, like a lemon. Make sure that you've got space behind you to back up as the dog is bringing you the dummy so that that helps the acceleration towards you from the dog. And then the final thing to say is that if you are having difficulties, feel free to help the dog by you making the effort. So rather than you holding your hand at your right side and expecting the dog to come to your hand, you can move your hand out and touch the dummy while it's still in the dog's mouth as they're approaching you. You can then click that moment. Now, once that's happening consistently over and over again, you can reach out less and less and less each time and you can expect the dog to make more and more of the effort to move to your hand each time. So the idea is that you have to do whatever you have to do to enable the dog to feel successful. And then once you've made the dog be successful, you can reduce whatever it is, however much you're helping, um, however much you're reaching out. You can reduce that and reduce that and reduce that until you are just standing there with your hand by your side. And the dog is doing all of the work and making all of the effort to target it. So that's another way that you can help as well. So that's phase seven. So let's talk a little bit now about phase eight, which is really pretty simple. And then there's a few little tidying up bits that we can just talk a little bit about. So phase eight is really that you just hold the dog by the harness. So you want your dog wearing a harness and you're going to hold them by the harness on your left side, which is where they'll be sitting when you're working them. Then you're going to throw the dummy out in front of you with your other hand. You're going to wait for the dummy to hit the floor. So you're not asking for any steadiness or any... Um, don't ask the dog to sit, don't ask the dog to wait, don't ask the dog to control themselves in any way. You want lots of drive and lots of desire for the dummy at first, and you don't want any inhibitions or worries on the dog's part about whether they should go or whether they shouldn't go at this point. So 
Um, and we also need to establish a retrieve key before we can put in steadiness. So yeah, we're holding the dog by their harness on our left side, throwing the dummy out with our right hand. The dummy's going to hit the floor. As soon as the dummy hits the floor, you're going to let go of the dog's harness and let the dog go to the dummy and pick it up. So the next bit we've just done, so that's really easy now. So we're going to put our hand down and the dog's going to bring the dummy back to us and target our hand. The dummy is still falling on the floor. So when it touches our hand, we're not taking it off the dog. And then we can give the food reinforcer directly to the dog's mouth from this point onwards. And the reason for that is that when um, we're working outside and we're on grass, it's a bit difficult to keep throwing the food on the floor, partly. That's partly what's one reason anyway. Um, Because the dog ends up snuffling around trying to find it for ages and sniffing and focus downwards on the ground instead of upwards and at you. So from this point onwards, you can deliver the, the food to the dog's mouth. So we've kind of got the beginnings of a reliable retrieve now. So you might remember back to kind of a previous episode relatively recently where someone asked about the chaining of the retrieve and why we um, forward chain instead of back chaining it. Um, and I said, because it kind of has to be trained in that way because the dog has to have a pickup first before we can do anything else. But you can also see how what we've put most of the emphasis on with the clicker retrieve is the picking up and the bringing back. It's the picking up and it's the bringing back. It's the picking up and it's the bringing back and the delivery. We haven't really put loads of emphasis on the go out and get it um, because for most dogs, that's there anyway. So we kind of, yeah, the exciting thing going through the air, which they want to go and get. Most dogs have that anyway, that um, reasonably um, instilled in them. And it's only going to get stronger from this point onwards. So we kind of have back-chained it in some way because we've trained the second part of the retrieve, the picking up and the bringing back, before we really focus on the first part of the retrieve, the, the running out from the side. Um, so anyway, let's move on. So the next little bit is we need to have a cue for the retrieve. Now, this is really pretty simple. It can be anything you want it to be. Um, many people just say fetch, which is fine. I do suggest that whatever you use, make sure it's one syllable and not um, multi-syllable. So I once had someone try and say, go and get it. And that was their <laughs> retrieve cue, was, go and get it. Of course, the dog would just always go and go. Whenever they say go, the dog would go. So they didn't really need to say go and get it. So try and make sure your, your cue is one word that the dog can identify and go on. Um, the other thing to say is think about whether you're going to be ever working more than one dog. Because say you've got three dogs and their retrieve cue is fetch, and you're working on a shoot or something and you've got your three dogs sitting there and you say fetch, you're going to have three dogs trying to get that retrieve that came down. So it's, you know, that's why people, if they work a team of dogs, send the dog on their name for marks. So they would say Fido, Fluffy, you know, whatever the dog's name is. And the dog would go on their name. Um, now, I know, for, I know at first that sounds really bizarre. Like and you might be thinking, but I use my dog's name to sort of get their attention and to ask them to look at me and um you know when I talk to them and how can this also be my retrieve cue you know and the answer to that is that don't worry about it that dogs are really smart and they will understand the context of I am sitting at my side at your side and this is a retrieving scenario and you say my name in an excited quick tone of voice and they will understand that to be their retrieve cue you will not have a problem you'll not have the dog looking at you or not understanding the cue so that's just not a problem at all so if you are going to be ever working multiple dogs at once and think about the future as well you may only have one dog at the moment but do you plan on getting another dog sometime in the future um this this happened with us so slate by vimeranders um 
retrieve key was fetch because we only had her at that point. And then when we got Gray, I decided to go to sending them on their names. So Gray would go on Gray, and Moy goes on Moy, and Fire will go on Fire. Um, by the way, that's part of why I really wanted to call her Fire is because I get to go Fire <laughs> when I sent her for retrieves. Um, anyway, um, yeah. So basically, think about if you're going to add more dogs to your family in the future when you think when you choose a queue. Um, so to add the queue, you are just going to say the queue just before you release the dog. So you're you've got the dog on your left and you're holding onto their harness with your left hand, um, and they're not sitting or having any self-control yet you're throwing the dummy out with your right hand the dummy's hitting the floor you are saying the cue fetch whatever it is and then you're letting go of the harness now all this happens very quickly but the order that it happens in is very important and that's the same for a lot of dog training things happen quickly with dog training and we're talking about microseconds and um you know that and when people say you've got good timing that's that's what good timing is about so it is down to um yeah, milliseconds. So um, dummy hits the floor. You say the retrieve cue. You release the, the harness. You hold on the harness and the dog goes to get it. So you're still, by the way, guys, at this point, you're still clicking the dog, touching your hand with the retrieve and letting it fall to the floor and not trying to take it into your hand. And you're clicking if you could think, if you could take the object into your hand if you wanted to. So if your dog's showing no keep away tendencies at this point, you may now want to start to occasionally take the retrieve. So that, might, that means maybe one retrieve out of five, you would just take from the dog. And four retrieves out of five, you're just clicking contact with your hand and letting it fall to the floor. Notice if you see any signs of keep away coming back. If, does this taking it one time out of five result in the dog you know, being less willing to bring it back at all? If it doesn't, then maybe you might move to two times out of five, you take it from the dog. And the rest of the time, you just click the contact with your hand and let it fall to the floor. And so on, kind of watching how the dog is responding to this idea of you taking it from them. Um, if your dog had some keep-away issues to begin with, or maybe still has some residual keep-away issues, it might be months before you take the item from the dog. And that's completely fine. So going back to my Vimarana Slate, she did have some keep-away issues, and that was one big reason why we needed to do the clicker retrieve in the first place. So with her, it was months before I would take the item directly from her. Now, we were also going to some traditional classes at the time, and obviously those people would have thought it totally bizarre that I was clicking contact with my hand and letting the item fall to the floor. And I just knew that I would get lots of quote-unquote advice if I tried to do that than a traditional class. So when I went to the traditional classes, I was taking it from her. I would click the contact with my hand, I would take it from her. Um, but when I was training by myself, which was the vast majority of the time, I was clicking contact with my hand and letting it fall to the floor for months. So again, you know, be canny to the situation that you're in and you know, make, make your choices accordingly. So the other question that people often have about the retrieve is, do they need to keep with the keep it up with the food reinforcers? Do they need to keep reinforcing retrieves? When Can they stop reinforcing retrieves? So that's been a question that we've had quite recently on the podcast as well. Um, the answer is yes, you should always keep reinforcing retrieves unless and until you just can't because of you're in a competition situation, for example. So um, I've talked before about one of the many reasons, well, there are many reasons for why this is important. So the retrieve in terms of the bringing it back and delivering it to hand is not innately reinforcing for many dogs. Many dogs love the idea of something that they run out and get 
but the idea of bringing it back to you and delivering it to you is not so naturally, inherently, innately reinforcing, which is why you often get really strong, powerful, enthusiastic runouts to the item, and then you sometimes get ploddy, unenthusiastic, slow returns, because, hey, the dog's not really bothered about that bit. So we've helped get away from that with the way that we trained the click and retrieve and the focus on the pick it up and bring it back aspect and really making that reinforcing for the dog. Um, but we need to kind of keep maintain that um, enjoyment on dog's part of the bring it back side of things by providing a reinforcer afterwards for the dog, I believe anyway. So that's that's kind of one big reason. The other reason is that we want to convey to the dog that there's not a big difference between training and working. So we need to blur the kind of um, boundaries between training and working. So when we first start to work the dog and go on shoots and things, we want to still be providing food reinforcers because that makes it more like the situation the dog recognizes and more like what they're used to because they're used to getting that. So that will function then like you are putting the dog into a real working environment and you're still providing reinforcers and it will be a little bit like, I think we talked about this before on the podcast, like the training ring in obedience competitions where the dog gets to play tuggy, gets to eat food whilst doing obedience stuff in a ring which looks like the competition ring but isn't the competition ring. So shoots are your training ring. They're the place which looks like the real thing the sort of uh, field trial or working test scenario or but it's not the real thing in terms of well it is the real thing in some ways some people have no interest in competition that's fine but if you're aspiring to compete it's not competition so yeah and if you're not aspiring to compete heck you've got forever you can keep giving a dog reinforcers so you've got no problems with that at all so yeah keep reinforcing the heck out of the retrieve i think i said that before so what else is there to say, really? I think that's that's basically it. But what I would say is that sometimes it's difficult to um, follow words on a podcast, spoken words. And sometimes it's difficult, even with my book, to follow along written words, and even with the illustrations. So if you want some sort of video footage of the click and retrieve process, and you want to actually see what you're supposed to be doing, and you want to get feedback from me, so to show me videos of what you're doing and get feedback from me, then... I highly recommend signing up for my Click and Retrieve online course. It's a five-week course, and you can start it anytime you want to, and you can do it wherever you are in the world. So just drop me an email if you'd like to do that. You can email me at galody, G-A-L-O-D-Y, at mac, M-A-C, dot com, and I can sign you up for the Click and Retrieve course. It can also take lots of words, by the way, to explain something pretty simple. Whereas, you know, a video can be, do this, and you just do it all in like 10 seconds. Whereas I can be here going words, 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 words to describe some really nuanced thing. Um, And it just gets lost in a fog of words. So videos sometimes speak much more clearly than loads and loads of words, which is why I do recommend doing the Click Achieve course if you've got any problems particularly. Um, and part of that also is that you get access to a Facebook group and you get to see other people doing the Click Retrieve course alongside you and what they're doing. You get to watch their videos as well. So it's just really kind of um, useful. Um, yeah, so I hope that helps and I hope it gives people some inspiration to get going 
with the Clicker Retrieve. This is the final installment of the Clicker Retrieve. So those of you who have no interest in the Clicker Retrieve, be very relieved to hear that. You do not have to listen to me waffling on about the Clicker Retrieve anymore. I don't know what I'm going to talk about instead. We have to find some other subject, maybe blind retrieves or something that um, people struggle with, particularly. Um, Anyway, that's all for this week, everybody. Uh, Do remember you can send me your training questions at galody, G-A-L-O-D-Y, at macmac.com. And I will be happy to answer them, whatever they are. There's going to be a little draw for the spare copy I have of the book, the spare proof. So send me your training questions if you'd like to be entered for that draw. I hope you have a really, really good week. Um, and bye-bye for now.